I'm going to read a passage of scripture from Luke chapter 7. You'll find it in your Bible. It might be headed something like a sinful woman forgiven. And it says this, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he gave the debts of, forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet her feet, my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a guy called Tony Campolo, who is kind of part preacher, part sociologist. Tony Campolo is a bit of a controversial figure, to say the least, but very, very genuine guy, loves Jesus. Tony Campolo, when I was a lot younger, and whenever I tell this anecdote, usually somebody comes up to me and says, I was there at Spring Harvest that year. Tony Campolo made a bit of a ooh, grand entrance at uh, one of the Christian festivals, and he, he's done it fairly regularly, where he opens his talk with a four-letter expletive, which I'm not going to do this morning. It has a certain amount of shock value, and kind of within evangelical circles, you can hear this kind of... And he says, the trouble is, you're more concerned about the word than I said than about the fact that there are people going to an eternity without Jesus every day. And he has a point. He sometimes does it in the, in the context of world poverty as well, saying that kind of, you're more bothered about the word that I said than the fact that 10,000 children under five will die today. It's, it's, a, it, it's controversial, and we probably wouldn't agree with him on some of the things he says, but he he relays a very interesting anecdote. This is a true story that happened to him. He flew into a conference in Hawaii, in Honolulu. And uh, he arrived in quite late and was quite jet-lagged. And I've, 
on the rare occasions I have been jet lagged, I tend to find the easiest thing to kind of do with your time is to go out and get something to eat or raid Charisse's fridge or whatever it was when we were in the States for Jen's wedding. But um, Tony Campolo decided to see if he could find a, a late night diner or something over. And so he came along and found this diner. And he was sat there with a coffee and a donut at about 3.15 in the morning. And a number of street working women uh, came in and uh, were huddling around and having a bit of a conversation. And there was a conversation that was taking place between these prostitutes. And uh, one of them was saying about, yeah, it's, it's my birthday tomorrow. And the other one said, well, what do you expect me to do about it? And she said, well, no need to be rude, but I just wanted to say it's my birthday. I'll be turning 39, you know, kind of. They said, well, what, do you expect me to throw you a party or something? She said, well, no, I've never had a birthday party. And they, they finished their coffee and, and tootled off out. And Tony Campolo had a bit of an idea, and sometimes these ideas are a bit God. And he went, went up to the owner of the, uh, the bar and he said, um, do those girls come in every night? He said, yeah, they come in every night around about the same time. And he said, because I couldn't help overhearing that the one called Agnes, it's her 39th birthday tomorrow and she's never had a birthday party. How do you fancy throwing a birthday party for her? And he said, you know, that's a great idea. And he called his wife out from the back and he said, hey, how do you fancy putting on a birthday party for Agnes? And she said, oh, we'd love to do that. And, and Tony Campbell said, can I decorate the place up a little bit? He said, yeah, knock yourself out, do whatever you want. Uh, they'll be in the same time every morning. And he said, can I bring a cake? And he said, no, 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 no. He said, my wife and I will do the cake. We'll provide a cake. So um, sure enough, Tony Campolo got there fairly early the, um, the next day, uh, put some decorations up. Uh, Harry, the guy who owned the bar, had made a cake with his wife. And word of this had got out. So it seemed that every prostitute in Honolulu had gathered at this cafe ready for Agnes to arrive and when Agnes arrived there was this big cheer of surprise and the cake was brought out and she was a little bit overcome and so Harry brought a knife out and he said it's time to cut the cake and she said do you mind if I don't cut the cake and Harry looked a little bit surprised and she said well I've never had a birthday cake before and I only live a couple of doors along. Can I just take it home with me and keep it there to look at for a bit? And she was obviously quite overcome. And so Harry said, well, yes, it's your cake. You can do whatever you like with it. So Agnes picked up a cake and trotted off out, leaving everybody else kind of somewhat, what do we do? And Tony Campolo just thought, he said, hey, why don't we pray? And in the midst of a diner full of prostitutes, Tony prayed for Agnes along the lines of basically, God, would you help her? Would you bless her? You know, kind of, Lord, for all those dirty guys who've kind of abused her over the years, would you set her free? And all that kind of stuff. And he prayed. And Harry, the guy who owned the bar, and he said, you're not a psychologist, are you? You're a preacher. <laughs> and, he, and he went, well, I am a psychologist too. And he said, well, what kind of church do you go to? And Tony Campolo said, he said, I still think it was a moment of inspiration. He said, the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at half past three in the morning. And Harry, the bar owner, looked at him and he said, no, no, no. 
You can't. Because if there was a church like that, I'd go to it. And it's interesting sometimes because we come across people, it seems, I meet people with very messy lives. And we interact with people with very messy lives. And it could be, well be here that you're here this morning and you think, well, my life is a little bit messy. And I just wanted us to look at some of the ways in which Jesus deals with people in this story and perhaps learn some lessons and perhaps shape our culture and perhaps shape the way that we think and we act and we deal with people who might be a little bit messy. That if you're here this morning and your life is messy, that you might be a little bit encouraged and more encouraged than you are already, given the fact of how God's been speaking already this morning. But sometimes we can be faced with the needs of people and we can meet people with messy lives who might not necessarily fit into a church context and we can be a bit challenged as to how to deal with them. And sometimes that can come out of a slight aspect of self-righteousness. And perhaps the way in which Simon dealt with this woman was because he was a little bit self-righteous in that he wondered what his Pharisee friends would think. Perhaps it might be when we encounter people who have messy lives and need Jesus that we're just busy. Because life is busy at the moment, isn't it, sometimes? And we get pressure and we have to do this and we have to do that. And we have this target to meet and that target. We have this job that needs done. And we have a to-do list. And we have these things which bleep at us or buzz, even if we turn them off every few minutes. And I'm just looking, there's, there's, there's some messages already there anyway. And we have these things so that kind of our lives are never in rest. They're always at full tilt. And sometimes we think, well, I'd love to help this person. I'd love to do this. But I've just got this list of stuff that needs to be done. Or it could be that we're just under pressure because you think, well, if I get involved with this person and if I do this, what will people think? What will my home group think if I do this or I bring this person along? What will the elders think if they hear that I'm doing this, that or the other? Sometimes we can be driven by fear and not by faith. Well, what will happen? What will people say? What will people think? You see, this passage is interesting because it's one of a number of occasions where Jesus went to tea with a Pharisee or had a meal with a Pharisee. I just thought went to tea with a Pharisee. It kind of almost lyrical. And there are a few occasions, but they're all in Luke. Luke is the only gospel writer who records the fact that Jesus would sometimes eat with Pharisees. And this is very, a very, very similar story to other occasions where, for example, Jesus was in the house of Mary and Martha at Lazarus and Mary pours perfume on Jesus' feet. But it's not the same story. There are some people who say that this woman was Mary Magdalene, but actually there's, there's no evidence for that. What this story is clearly about is of a woman with a very, very checkered, dubious past 
that most people in her community knew about. And she came in. So there's two very, very different people. You've got the very establishment figure, Simon, and you've got the very disreputable woman who also comes in. And there were some customs that would be observed. And I'm not going to kind of go into a whole thing, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background. So Simon the Pharisee has invited Jesus for a meal, and they're reclining at table, which would basically mean, you know, instead of the table and chairs that we have, they're, they're leaning down. And customarily, you'll be leaning on your left elbow and eating with your right, and your feet would be protruding out. This is why the woman was able to come behind Jesus and start putting perfume on his feet and crying on his feet and massaging his feet with her hair. Now, this is taking place in the home of a fairly prominent religious leader. And Don Francisco writes a song about this where he says, yeah, uh, basically puts into the words of Simon the Pharisee about doesn't he know the woman that's touching him is the kind that they buy and sell. This woman's reputation had preceded her. Now, I'm going to suggest that if Jesus was in a home of a religious leader and a sex worker came in and gave him a foot massage with some perfume and rubbed his feet with her hair, and Jesus doesn't seem to be at all perturbed by this, I know a good number of churches that would probably be putting Jesus out of ministry for that. There would certainly be blogs appearing on the internet about how could Jesus be a prophet because he let this woman come in and massage his feet while he's at the home of a reputable religious leader. How could he do this? Surely this throws the whole move of God around this Nazarene carpenter into disrepute. I mean, there's stuff out there on the internet that is written, Jesus would be in trouble. I mean, let alone a religious leader, if this was a cabinet minister of whatever political persuasion, left or right, and it came out that he'd been at a party, he'd gone for a dinner party, and a prostitute had come in and given him a foot massage and whatever, do you think he'd be in his job next week? But Jesus is quite happy to let this woman approach him. Now, Simon is thinking to himself, what on earth is he doing? Because if he really was a prophet, he would know what kind of a person this woman is. And Simon is all about the kind of purity and kind of, yeah, we've, we've got to have some kind of holiness in the camp. And don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing holiness but sometimes we can use that as an excuse for keeping our distance. Yeah, we've got to keep the church pure, you know, kind of we've got to have some discipline. And, and Martin and Gordon will, and Kyler as well, and Judy, will, and there may be others of you who've encountered churches of this ilk. Back in the dim and distant past, we were part of a stream of churches where essentially, if you believed in certain things, and if you behaved, then you would be allowed to belong. That was essentially 
what it was like. So, for example, as long as you were able to tick the box on certain belief systems, in other words, principally, did you believe in repentance? Did you believe in faith? Did you believe in baptism water? Were you baptized in the spirit? Did you speak in tongues? Did you go through the commitment course and did you pass the commitment interview? And if you went through all of those things, you were allowed to belong. Now, you might think, whoa, that's a bit hardline. Yeah, there are a lot of churches that were like that. And even if we don't necessarily go through that process, sometimes for what we see as the right reasons, we can still have some of that in the back of our mind. Because people, when they come to God or they're exploring the pathway to God, sometimes their lives aren't altogether in order. And you might be looking at yourself in the mirror some mornings thinking, do you know, my life isn't altogether in order either. And you might be a bit discouraged, and that can keep you sometimes from being ineffective in your relationship and your walk with Jesus Christ. And that can also sometimes affect the way that you feel about your relationship with Jesus. But Jesus turns to Simon, and he says this, can I say something to you? And he tells this little bit of a story. And the sums of money aren't inconsiderable because a denarius was the average day's wage for a labor, for a laborer. So if you think 50 days wages is the basic one, that's not an inconsiderable sum of money. And then when he looks for the larger amount, you're talking somewhere just shy of 30 grand, essentially. But this kind of, yeah, one is about 10 times the other. And Jesus says to Simon, so which one is going to love the guy more? And Simon says, well, the one who had the larger debt forgiven. And he says, you've judged correctly. Because Jesus is using a point here to illustrate how God thinks and how Jesus thinks. And sometimes when we're dealing with people and we're thinking about our culture as a church, it's good sometimes to take some lessons from Jesus because we're his people. We follow him. And Simon, or Jesus turns to Simon and he says, see this woman? Because actually part of the problem was Simon hadn't seen the woman. He'd seen a reputation. He'd seen certain behaviors. He'd seen a lifestyle. He'd seen something that he thought of as basically subhuman who had no place in a respectable gathering. And Jesus said, see this woman? So Simon wasn't even a woman. And Jesus says, see this woman. You see, when I came, Simon, you didn't offer me any water for my feet. Rude, really. It's a bit rude. Because although Simon would see himself as a paragon of virtue, his sins were a little bit more respectable. But nonetheless, there was pride there. There was self-righteousness. He certainly saw himself as better than this woman. But yet he'd overlooked a lot of the basic social customs that would have been 
essential in that day. If you're welcoming someone into your home, it's a bit like, hello, nice to see you. Do you want a cup of tea? Would almost be the British equivalent. Or do you want a coffee? But Jesus says to Simon, you did not give me any water for my feet. This woman has wet my feet with her tears. She's not even stopped. You did not give me any oil. Now, quite honestly, if I come to visit you, you don't need to worry about the oil. It's fine. But he said, you didn't offer me anointing with oil, which again was customary. But he said, this woman has anointed my feet with perfume. And the difference between oil and perfume, the perfume is a lot more costly. And he said, you offered me no kiss of greeting. Now, I don't know whether that was the kiss on one cheek. I mean, I get confused about kissing, you know, kind of. (sighs) Is it one cheek? Is it two cheeks? I'm always going to... I'm going to be honest with you. I'm always a little bit nervous that I'm going to miss and end, and end up kissing on the lips. Which is kind of like, and I know that's a definite no-no. But kind of, I'm just, a, and and I went to Argentina a number of years ago, and they and they they do three, one, two, three, and they're like, oh man, alive! What are I? And it, different cultures, and I kind of think, ah. But the thing is, Jesus said, "You didn't offer me a single kiss." Rude. This woman has not stopped kissing my feet since the moment she came in. If you're wondering how she got there, by the way, it was customary that kind of if there was a feast for a local dignitary or there was something like this going on, the local community could come in and watch. So in case you're wondering how on earth did a woman with this kind of reputation get into a house with Jesus and a Pharisee, well, it would be allowable for them to kind of stand around and observe the guests and listen to the conversation and watch what they did. But this woman goes a little bit further. But Simon's sins were hidden. He wouldn't expect to be pulled up like this, and he would see himself as fairly respectable, whereas he saw this woman as disreputable. But the fact is... We were all in the same boat. And the Bible tells us this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I think sometimes with John 3.16, because it is so well known, we kind of lose its power a little bit because we shoot through it quite quickly. But often we forget verse 17. I'm quite grateful to the boys' brigade because I got, I got a, a little tick toward a badge for learning John 3, 16 and 17. And 17 goes on, it says this, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And I think that's quite interesting because sometimes we're all about John 3, 16 but we forget about John 3.17. And sometimes, because, whether it's because we're pressured, whether it's because we want to appear respectable, whether it's because there's a bit of self-righteousness or 
our concern for holiness or whatever it is, sometimes we feel that we want to do a little bit of a work of condemnation on people so that they know where they stand before God. But the Bible is very clear. It says that the reason that Jesus came wasn't to condemn the world, but to save the world. And here he has a woman who is a very, very dubious reputation, and he's not condemning her at all. Now, the thing is, I think, and we, we have done, because we've talked about this in the past, when I talked about if you believe and you behave, you can belong, we've turned that round a little bit. J. John used to talk about we need to concentrate more on allowing people to belong and then believe, and then they'll behave. Because people are looking for a sense of community. Now, I know that if you don't uh, come to Jesus and you're not born again, you can't truly be part of the family of God. But nonetheless, we need to be a group of people who let people of all sorts of messy lives and dodgy reputations come and feel a sense of belonging. Because we're people of grace. Billy Graham died this week. I had the, um, the great joy. I tell you what, it was one of the easiest evangelistic asks ever because you could say to a work colleague, and when I lived in Leeds, we did a bus down to Sheffield, and I found that the most unlikely people would say yes because it was Billy Graham. And I worked with a guy who was an avowed atheist, and I said, do you fancy coming to Billy Graham? He went, yes, I'd love to come. He said, because I want to see what all the fuss is about. But here's a guy who, when he give the appeal, often the song would be sung, just as I am. And he would say, come, just as you are. And that's the whole point, is that when we come to God, when we come together, when we encounter people with messy lives, it's you can belong, because we're people of grace, come as you are. And some of you need to hear that this morning. And you may have been around for a long, long while. Come as you are. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. We are people of grace. But the key thing is to come and believe. Because we are not just people of grace, we're people of faith. Because if you believe you won't stay as you are. And that's the encouraging thing. And can I encourage you this morning that when God's been speaking to, you, to us through the prophetic word and you're singing the songs and that little kind of stirring comes in your heart through the prophetic word coming or the song coming or the preach word coming or whatever it is, that is your point of faith to latch hold of. It's your encounter with God where you can move on and you can change. Because God doesn't encounter us to entertain us. Sometimes it can be highly entertaining, but it's not like gladiator. Jesus is not standing saying, are you not entertained? He encounters us so that we can change, so that we can go on and be different. Now, I am actually going to suggest that I've, I, this isn't original. I've nicked it. Um, there are a number of churches who have taken the third B, which is behave, 
And I'm going to suggest that a more appropriate thing is to become. To become the person that God created you to be. So we are people of identity. We want to move toward the person that God created us to be because we have a destiny. And some of you are held back this morning and you could be held back in a couple of ways. You could be held back in your sense of dealing with people who are slightly messy. And it's interesting. You, a number of you will know people who, on the surface, their lives are quite together. But when you start to dig a little bit deeper, there's a lot of messiness there. Some of you may even find that you have fairly messy lives anyway. Now, this woman, Jesus turned around and said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm not going to get into the kind of the whole power and what's behind that statement. But he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't think, and I think it's, 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 it's essential we get the order right here. She wasn't saved because she'd come in and poured perfume on Jesus' feet and wept on them and given him a foot massage. She was saved before, and it may well have been that she'd heard Jesus preach. It may well be that she'd had an encounter when he was preaching to the crowds as he was going through that town. But she knew that she'd been loved much and forgiven much. And she wanted to respond to Jesus to show her gratitude for being set free by anointing his feet and worshipping him. And Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I've got to a certain age. And some of you will identify with this. I can stroll purposefully into a room for a particular reason, I arrive in the room and I think, what did I come here for? I, come here, I came here for something. There are some of you looking thinking, well, that's ridiculous. Hey, you wait till you turn 50. But a number of you are looking thinking, yeah, I know that feeling. You, know, you go into a room for a reason and you forget something. Rachel had a conversation with the guy who lived five doors down from us at one stage, talking about their grandchildren and saying, oh, yeah, uh, this was from where we used to live. And we, were, we visited back and said, so um, how many grandchildren have you got now, Ron? Well, I've got five. I've got this one, this one, this one, and um, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. And the time they finished the, con the uh, conversation, Ron was still saying, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. And the whole thing is, if you're forgetful, It'll come to you. And I know that if I've forgotten something, the chances are is that I'll be doing something totally related later on, driving the car or something. It comes to me. I remember. And sometimes in our relationship with God and our pursuit of identity, our pursuit of being the person that God has called us to be, we are very conscious of our dubious past. We are very conscious of the things that hold us back. Because... 
We sometimes imagine that there'll be a conversation when God says, hang on, there's something wrong here, there's something wrong here, it'll come to me, it'll come to me. But you need to know this, and it's a scripture that's in Isaiah, where it says, I, even I, am he who will blot out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sin no more. And that isn't, I will forget your sin, because if somebody forgets something, God could be there thinking, hang on, it'll come to me, it'll come to me. Martin Sharp, he did something, what was it? It'll come to me, it'll come to me, it'll come to me. And yeah, we can have somebody come who prophesies at the front, and you think there's a danger of that it'll be, it'll come to me. Now there's something here, there's something here, there's something here. But if there's a conscious decision where God says, I will remember your sin no more, that's it, it's gone. And in fact, there is a story, and I believe it's a true story, of a major prophetic figure who was praying for a number of people at the front and he said to a couple and he turned to the woman and he said I just had this sense in my heart that there was there was something of sin in your life before and he said I asked God what it was and he said God said to me I don't remember now you might have some theological issues with that but based on the book of Isaiah where God says I will remember your sin no more I have no issues with that. Wesley wrote a hymn, Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, Over a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and it contains this line. It said, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And some of us, we're quite cool with the fact that he's forgiven our sin. But something of it is still pulling us back. And you need to know this morning, just like that woman who Jesus said, go in peace, your faith has saved you. You need to know that God says to you this morning, I will remember your sin no more. And there are some of you, you would find it very, very helpful to get some prayer, to know what it is, to have the power of cancelled sin broken. Because sometimes you can know that sin has been cancelled, but it can still pull you back. Which is why Jesus said to this woman, go in peace. And some of you need to hear that this morning. So, when we meet people who are not yet part of us, who live very, very messy lives, we want to promote a culture of come as you are. Come as you are. But yet you can believe in a Jesus so that you don't have to stay as you are and you can become a person that God intended you to be. And if you feel this morning, actually, do you know what? I need to have some cancelled sin, the power of cancelled sin broken. Grab someone you know, like, and trust and get some prayer. Actually, it might take a little bit more than just a single prayer. It might be a conversation over a period of time where you need to have some scripture and some love applied to your life and you need to change some thought patterns. But take some of those points away in terms of how we deal with people because there is a lot of messy lives out there and Jesus is determined to bring some of them 
into our path and into our family. Thank you.